Are you looking for inspiration and words of wisdom so you can go out and launch your own business? This is the Lost and Founded podcast, bringing you raw and relatable stories of successful entrepreneurs, committed startups and personal experiences that are here to inspire, inform and influence. My name is Amanda. And my name is George. And in today's episode, we are joined by an advocate for ethical clothing. She's the co-founder of the sustainable fashion and lifestyle shop Sancho's, who sells all their materials locally. She is known for creating job opportunities, not only for those in the UK, but also her home country, by showcasing the talent of local weavers in rural Ethiopia to the wider market. With an MBA in business administration and management, our special guest dedicates herself to using her knowledge to make the world better. So one step at a time. So I'm really grateful to welcome onto the episode, Kalkadan. How are you? Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Like, yeah, I'm really honoured to be here. Well, it's lovely to have you. Could you tell us a little bit about how you started Sancho's? Because I believe, was it that you started it while you were at uni? Kind of, yeah. So in my third year, I did a year in industry, so working for NGOs, one in Greece, a marine conservation NGO, and one in Ethiopia, um, one of the largest global NGOs and also the largest NGO in Ethiopia focusing on kind of children's well-being. That's the career that I thought I'd be taking. But in doing it, I realized that, you know, I'd made some assumptions about that career that were inaccurate. And one of those being the best way to help people out of poverty was through aid which I think is a realisation that so many people have like gone through in the past two decades or so. And whilst I was working, I was also kind of spending my weekends shopping <laughs> for um, clothes, like for events and weddings and just bits like that. And I'd go to markets and see weavers and designers and there was just so much pride in their work and such beautiful garments. You know, I, before then I didn't really know how fabric was constructed. I think I'd never thought to think about it. And then there I was like, oh gosh, like they're, you know, in this case, people are like genuinely layering up, you know, warps and wefts of thread to create fabric. And I just fell in love with the process. And with their kind of confidence and pride and it became clear that not all of Ethiopia needed anybody to come and save it. You know, poverty isn't this kind of universal thing. Even in countries where, you know, there can be some really extreme poverty, it's not the lived experience of all people. And perhaps the best way to help those who are experiencing it isn't to come in and describe to them what they need, but perhaps it's just to kind of help them along in what they're already doing. But maybe even help isn't the right verb. It's just kind of being a part of what they're doing, you know? Um, so I filled up suitcases and brought them to the UK whilst I was still a student. And I just tried to sell the stuff that I found slowly kind of that led to me kind of formulating an idea for a brand whose vision was to connect people to makers yeah I feel like the story of me starting Sancho's is just a lot of like days waking up asking myself what you know what's the next thing to do until you know it become the business that it is and I actually think that's probably the case for a lot of businesses you know oftentimes it's described that you sit down and you like do a customer survey and you write a business plan get some funding or put some money at risk and then you go into business and actually, like, I think more often than not, what people are doing is um, iterating each day or each week or each month or each year until they form a model that works. 
And I think the beauty about that is that you don't know what comes next. And I think sometimes it could be a good thing. Sometimes it could be a bad thing. But I think that's the beauty of starting your own business is that there's that element of surprise, like what's coming next sort of thing. Mm. So why the name Sancho's? What does this mean to you? The, the answer to this isn't good, <laughs> but it's it's like a family name. It's a house name, you know, so my name is Calcadern, but my family call me Sancho or Sanch. And for years, I just thought that was like, cool. <laughs> it was just cool, you know, neutral, all good. Um, and then when I went back to work in Ethiopia for my year abroad, it became clear that it was actually like a little mick take of me. My parents oh, had no. been mocking me. <laughs> and yeah, when I first named Sancho's, I guess I was thinking about, it kind of, it kind of refers to people and women um, who are a little bit kooky, I guess and strong chunky you know chunky yet funky (laughs) yeah so I thought it'd be cool to call a brand that um yeah yeah but yeah that's that's how I got the name Sancho (laughs) I can literally just imagine like you at home and then (laughs) your parents or your family just calling you Sancho like I can't separate the two now (laughs) why did you feel the need to focus your efforts on running particularly a sustainable fashion business was this something that you were always really passionate about doing or did you realize it was an emerging sector and did that motivate you definitely not the latter (laughs) (laughs) um Um, But no, it was just, you know, I've always been kind of quite certain that I'd want to work in development. I think that's because there's a lot of inequality in our world and it's completely unjust. You know, it's unjust that some people just, you know, are born into a situation where like their full potential may never be realised for no fault of their own. They often live like that because of how the other people, the people who benefit from their kind of oppression, design a system. And I think that's really just unjust and unfair and I've always wanted to work in development what I found in fashion is there is an opportunity if it's done ethically to have really equitable supply chains where you know producers and makers are paid really decent wages that's what I saw in the markets in Ethiopia you know the weavers were some of the best paid people in the city and so although you know the the large-scale fashion industry particularly the fast fashion industry relies on the exploitation of workers um, ethical fashion particularly where garment workers are able to produce a garment to completion um, and own some of the kind of rights of that garment it's a really powerful way to put money into communities that might otherwise kind of struggle to get it so yeah that was that that was how I got into it. And and then I think environmentalism has become so much better understood. And I think over time, I understood more clearly the impact, like the environmental impact of waste in fashion and in many industries. And I think, yeah, those two things kind of aligned. No, most definitely. You know, what's really great is that you you found a passion that you you wanted to explore even further. And I think it, that's absolutely great. So I was going to ask you just in terms of that, actually, you know, when you're working with somebody else or when you've basically co-founded a business, how important is it to complement each other's strengths and weaknesses? Because I can imagine that sometimes there are going to be peaks and troughs that, you know, would you say that that is something fundamental or significant? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm actually starting a new business at the moment. So uh, the kind of the approaching to start um, different to Sanchez to start this new company. Um, and one of the biggest differences is like the starting team. So with Sanchez, I think that, you know, my partner and I turned it into a business together 
together and we did that because we loved each other like it, it wasn't really a business strategy over time it became clear that our success was due to the fact that we did have complementing complementary skills like he has you know really great numerical skills and he can look at invoices and sit down and do our tax returns and you know everything pick up boxes and all my deliveries and all the things that like I was struggling to do <laughs> I know I'm like it doesn't sound fair does it but like he's good at it he likes it you know he specializes in that and he excels in that and I don't and I do other things you know I'll do strategy or creative work luckily that's our kind of natural state but I think had we not thought about this before we started the business we actually would have kind of suffered a lot and there have been so many instances where we've just kind of butt heads because we needed different things from one another so yeah I think finding your business partner is like you know one of the most important things you can do and I think you should try to find someone as well I think that there are people who can do it by themselves and of course there's lots of things you can do by yourself but like emotionally like business can take a toll you get in that other person as someone to kind of empathize with and sympathize with as you go along your journey and if they're the right person I think they can really help you thrive and you them um yeah so yeah I think we're really lucky in that with this new business um that we're launching it's a digital um, circular fashion platform that is aimed at um, creating an infrastructure, a digital infrastructure that brands can use to track the life cycle of their clothes and therefore become circular, manage the life cycle of their clothes. And that's taken a lot of very specific skill sets. So, you know, really smart kind of data scientists and coders and things that people, you know, need five to 10 years worth of experience to be able mm-hmm. to do. And so it hasn't been a matter of being like, well, who's the closest person to me that I get on really well with to to work with so instead I had to you know look much wider at my network to find out what relationships are possible and what might work and I think to anyone who might be on that journey I think if the key is self-management and focusing on skill sets I think people should be able to work with anybody but if you're a good leader and if you're running your own business and if you're an entrepreneur you have to be able to manage yourself if you're going to be successful you have to be able to fit teams around the needs of a business and not necessarily around the needs of your own personality or skill sets that's been a learning curve for me like understanding how to work with any type of person to a shared goal because not everyone's going to like have a partner that wants to start a business with them that's not going to be right for everyone so instead I think the focus could be you know what skill sets would make this business successful who has them and then like learning you know how how to work with them in an effective way very good advice uh, definitely and so on that kind of topic about learning one of the thing main aims of our podcast is to paint a realistic picture of what it's like starting a business and we know a lot of that is learning from various obstacles and mistakes and challenges that you come across so I was wondering what was one of the biggest obstacles that you encountered while starting Sancho's and how did you overcome it? I am laughing at the like little slight smile you did after asking (laughs) a difficult question yeah so okay so some really easy to understand things like money. So we started Sancho's with just our student overdraft. So we had no money and it takes a while to kind of build a revenue capable of growth. So, um, and oftentimes the expense is your own, your own pay your own resources you know I remember like one winter I walked home from my shop and I realized I'd been wearing summer shoes for like four months into the winter my toes were just like freezing freezing cold and it was like gosh I really need to buy winter shoes but I couldn't afford to buy them because I didn't have enough money so it can take a toll and yeah I think if we're talking about entrepreneurs who come from diverse you know less privileged 
backgrounds, you know, there is a significant pattern that they are the least likely to have disposable funds available to um, navigate that. There are like lots of different truths in that. There is a truth that things are changing and that they should still try and people might be much more respe- receptive to it in the future than they have been in the past. That's the truth. Another truth is, you know, that might not work out for them anyway, but, you know, they can probably build up their own wealth so that they have enough resources to move forward in some way. So lots of different truths around that, but it is challenging. Another challenge is kind of not really knowing what you're doing. And I think that, I don't know if it's me or just my my character, but like, I don't learn very well from other people. Like I expose myself to other people a lot. Like I, I try and I, I go to events and courses and read. And if I do something myself, I learn so much more than I do from other people. So sometimes like I just need to do something to know it. The only positive side of that is I think whenever I have done that, I have always come out of the other side with the skill sets and the information that I've needed. But it can mean that sometimes kind of the more formal ways in which you might kind of learn a new skill set aren't as effective. I don't know if that's just me or if it's just because like there's quite a difference between learning or theorizing about business and actually doing business, I think. No, definitely. Um, I definitely see that even, you know, what you mentioned about sometimes being from an underrepresented background, there are a lot of um, discussions about having disposable income. And I guess how do you truly channel this conversation is either you do or you don't. It's a wider topic of discussion, but honestly, I think it is definitely something that needs to be spoken, spoken about and spoken of but I think what's really great um that with you you seem to have like a really you have a great personality but you also have a a really strong personal brand so you seem like you you're someone who knows who they are through your business as well and it it seems like it's reflective everywhere so sometimes I guess small business owners are a little bit hesitant to be the face of their brand due to fear of I guess not being good enough or just imposter syndrome in general is this something that you have personally struggled with or is there a word of advice you could give to someone who doesn't necessarily want to be the face of their brand? Yeah, um, I think there's lots of benefits to not being the face of your brand. I think I became the face of Sancho's because it was clear that that's what our audience responded to best. It was like very much a let's look at our data, our engagement data. And it was really clear that like if I was in the photo, then the post would do better. So I think that I it wasn't intentional. It was a result of needing to make sales. What has come out of it is a lot of other opportunities for me and Sancho. So actually there's a lot of other benefits that can come from it, which I didn't know at first. So yeah, so if anyone doesn't fancy it, I think if you can build a business that doesn't require it, then actually you might be in a really great footing. Like for example, you know, if you want to sell your business in the future, which you should, you know, that's a very sensible way to plan business growth goal. Um, It's easier if it's not so directly associated with your um, personal brand. But if you do want to, and there will be benefits of doing it, I'd suggest that, you know, like, okay, to be keep it real, like find a way that you're comfortable presenting yourself. You two have been very kind and like not talking about how disheveled I look. I just took my hair out of a bun that's been in for like four days. Um, (laughs) But like, um, you know, I wouldn't share a photo of myself like this because that's not really a brand, right? So I think you treat your brand as you do your business brand. So you you know find the presentation that you want, you know, make sure you can maintain it consistently and then learn to separate yourself from that. Like you're not your brand. Well, at least I don't feel 
that I'm so directly associated to my brand that I need to perform it all the time. But I'm really conscious that the performance of it needs to be effective and accurate. And then over time, I'm finding that like my authentic voice, which whenever anyone says anything about authenticity, like for years, I was just like, that is so difficult to understand. And it just felt so inauthentic. Like the whole conversations around authenticity, I think, can be so like taxing Mm -hmm. because it's like, if you don't feel that that's something that's accessible to you, it's like someone's just talking nonsense. I think it ultimately just means like just be honest like be honest in what you say or what you do how you treat yourself how you treat others and I think if you can do that then it's easier to exist in spaces that you're uncomfortable in because you know you can hold on to that at least but there's lots of really interesting work at the moment being shared online about imposter syndrome and like what it's actually rooted in and how much it's rooted in um, social expectations of people and you know how we paint pictures of people who are successful or who are leaders or who should be listened to those pictures are so narrow like there's so few people that will fit into that box and so everyone else just feels like it's not them Mm. and so part of your conscious kind of reflection on yourself is actually a result of some of the social constructs you interact with and I I would unpack that and I I do that a lot I think about that a lot and I think that helps me just to accept that like I'm sometimes going to feel uncomfortable but that doesn't matter like what matters is the goal and whether or not it's getting there efficiently and if it's not like you know there'll be another path very good advice sir Now for the routine 2021 pandemic question, a lot of people have lost their jobs and have found it really difficult to purchase things such as clothing and even food in worst cases. How did your business respond to this? Did it affect the amount of sales you had massively? Yeah, I think that's a a really great question. Um, A really important one. So yeah, like we don't sell essential products. I'm really hopeful that like we're never presenting ourselves in a way that someone would feel like manipulated into buying something from us because I really hope that we don't do that. I try not to do that. But even then, at some point, you know, you need a pair of leggings or you need new underpants or, you know, you need a new jumper, whatever. There is a necessity to having some clothes. In April of last year, we rolled out a transparent pricing model for a range of our products. And this was our kind of way of dealing with the reality. Transparent pricing basically creates self-selecting and then we communicate to people that some prices give us more profit and how we might spend that profit basically and the first price is our cost of buying and then selling that item to the customer so below that price we'd just be making a loss but then above that price you know we have different ways in which we'll spend the money that we'll make and that was our response to customers sending us a message just being like I can't afford this you know I sent an email with a new garment and I got an email back just being like this isn't something I can buy I'm going to leave your mailing list so we launched the transparent pricing in the hopes of saying to our customers like we're not going to pretend that what we sell is affordable to everyone. I think particularly with ethical fashion, because, you know, there's obviously like a moral level to kind of marketing ethical fashion where you're saying to people, you know, this is the right thing to do. And then ultimately, if someone has more money to do it than others, then you're, you're implying that, you know, morality is linked to affluence, which is troubling ground, you know, it's not, to me, it's not not fair so that was our way of responding to that and we also started a pay it forward scheme so that people 
with more money could buy products that we could then donate. So we've set up a um, donation campaign to um, refugees. We do a lot of different things. Like I don't want to list them to you now and then become like arbitrary. I don't know. It's weird. It's like I it's weird selling things at all, I think, because it's just like, you know, the playing ground isn't equal. And I've never really been quite comfortable with like the kind of the luxury market mm. or just that kind of sense of, yeah, this is something, this is the price, pay it. It's always been a bit of a challenge for me. I think because, you know, I've got quite a working class background. So most of my family wouldn't be like our customers. Um, and that's a bit like a weird kind of mental space to be in. I'd like to find kind of system solutions to this. And I think in ethical fashion, one of the kind of the biggest opportunities is in the resale market. Because of course, you know, we buy things not every you can't wear all the things you own all the time so you might choose to you know pass some of those on and so and then when you do resell them they tend to kind of sell at a lower price so I think that whole the new like interest and engagement in resale is really exciting has so many opportunities in and our new company is kind of focusing in that space as well so I'm hoping that we can you know continue to provide solutions to people whatever their budget is yeah that would be my hope no honestly that's it's really interesting the fact that you said that your family wouldn't necessarily be your target audience as well I really appreciate I think a lot of people listening to this today would appreciate you know your transparency and honesty with your customer base because I'm pretty sure that that probably wasn't really easy to do at first especially with everything that's going on but I think as a business owner you have to be like as transparent as you possibly can be so you can build that trust with your customer base I think that's incredible um but I'd really like to know just a little bit about you who inspires you and why lots of people inspire me I sometimes I worry that I talk too much about celebrities and I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's ethical but like like Michelle Obama <laughs> it's just like yeah. she's just so intelligent like her she, the depth of her like intelligence is just amazing and so composed and so wise and yeah I love listening to her and her podcast and um you know Barack Obama just released a new podcast and I've just been listening to that one of the things that I struggle with a lot is kind of reconciling hurt like just the general hurt I feel as a black woman with the fact that people are learning and they're trying to do better and probably at some point they will do better because in most contexts if that's what I was seeing in you know an organizational individual person I would be on their side I'd be on their team and I would say you know how can I help you how can I support you get get further in there but like with race and racial equality I just I'm still upset like I'm still hurt by it so I really struggle with that I really struggle with like showing up as my best self in those spaces but I listen to them and I'm just like there is a path I mean I'm not like somebody who agrees with the whole when they go low we go high thing I think that's you know super taxing and unfair yeah I do think their, their composure is something I really admire um I really admire Aja Barber she's like my sister my friend and I just I love her so much and I've, I've seen her over the years like give so much knowledge to the world like so so much and yeah I'm just super proud of her my family are like really powerful people like I love my parents my mum my sister like my grandma raised like five generations of us um, wow. you know yeah <laughs> Like shout out to grandma. <laughs> I know. Shout out to grandma. Once we went to like a food market to get vegetables, and she's old. Like so, she's at that point. She would have been like maybe late seventies, early eighties, I and mean, I would have been like maybe nineteen or twenty. And like I just couldn't carry as much as her. So there's this <laughs> tiny little lady next to me with maybe like ten kilos worth of tomatoes and limes, and I was just like, she was like, Kakadan, step out of the way. <laughs> like, <laughs> carry, like get out of my way. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, yeah I actually love it. This is where you got your determination from, you know. It's actually from grandma. <laughs> I think if I could be like have an ounce of her like strength, then like I'm sad. Amazing. So that's such a grow up among such an inspiring group of people it must be so so nice we uh quickly wants to ask you about um what's next for you in the near future and uh you've mentioned a couple of times um this new venture that you started yeah. off can you tell us a little bit more about that yes of course um yeah so it's what i'm doing now actually it's just not it's not launched yet um but we hope to launch in the third week of april so we are creating a circular fashion digital infrastructure and by what by that what I mean is there is a a need to know where things are and to understand the life cycle of physical goods so there's a need to know you know I'm never going to throw away this dress because I love it but like let's assume I didn't love this dress (laughs) and like maybe one day I would take it to a charity shop and maybe that charity shop can't sell it so maybe they're going to give it to a recycling center maybe that recycling center downcycles it and becomes a carpet you know or maybe it ends up in landfill but we need to know what's happening to physical products what their material composition is which brand sold them what their value is who to whom their value could be higher in order to be able to tackle the problem of waste in order to create a circular you know end to our consumable goods and there are so many people offering lots of different solutions to this but for me like the main issue is that retailers and brands like can only make money from selling new products at the moment so they have to sell new products so they get really good at it and the biggest businesses particularly in fashion are the ones that can produce the most the fastest you know whatever the cost and they are making a lot of money for you know a small number of people and they're creating a lot of mess for the rest of us and i think the kind of one way in which we could approach it and one way in which we can provide a solution is by incentivizing them to focus on the life cycle of a garment rather than just that first sale they make. And in order to be able to do that, you need to be able to describe that garment's journey. This new business creates an infrastructure in which we can do that. And we hope what that will mean for consumers is that, you know, you'll be able to kind of log in into your little application and see the, um, you know, the collection of things you've purchased from our partners partnering businesses so for example you'd be able to log in and see everything you've purchased from Sancho's or from People Tree or from Ikea perhaps one day and if you are you know no longer kind of keen on it and you are ready to let it go you'll be able to click a button and then you know its journey will be predetermined so that journey might be to sell it that journey might be to donate it or to recycle it but there will be a plan for it so it won't just end up in landfill so that's what we're creating we've got a kind of a beta launch in April where we're launching with Sancho's and our customers and a few partner brands and yeah I'm just really hopeful I'm really hopeful about it and excited and really nervous because like it's a tech company and like there's you know so few black women in tech and Mm. yeah I've had to learn all of these new skills and you know learn new things about myself and yeah get better so yeah so yeah really keen really nervous but yeah we will launch third week of april that's such a good idea oh, it's actually incredible <laughs> honestly i love the resilience as well you know you have it's not some an industry you stepped into before but you're taking it on head first and you're just like i've got to do this and i've got to learn in the process and i think that's that's very admirable but um Kalkadan, thank you so much for sharing your story and just being transparent and honest 
because that is literally the premise of this podcast is to have you know successful business owners like yourself to give us the truth about starting businesses um i guess to wrap up could you give one word of advice for any small businesses looking to shake up their industry just one word Oh no! <laughs> one paragraph. One. <laughs> it's one piece of advice. Yeah, find a problem and build a solution to it. That's like really wet advice, isn't it? But that is like that's the foundation of good businesses. <laughs> so that's absolutely yeah. perfect. We love it. Well, thank you so much for today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. This has been the Lost and Founded podcast. If you liked this episode, make sure to head over to Instagram and let us know how you found it at Lost and Founded Pod. With new episodes being released every Thursday, you'll be ready to continue taking steps to bring your ideas to life. Wherever you listen to your podcast, be sure to follow and be notified about more inspiring stories and experiences. That's all for now and we'll see you next week.